Here's a shot. The Knights score! William Carrier. A nothing-looking play. Off Markstrom's glove and into the goal. William Carrier. one nothing Vegas. Knights control after the face-up. Markstone, low to high pass. McNabb, a wrist shot, scores! Brett Howden out in front, crossing through the crease, and Vegas takes a 2-0 lead. Brett Howden gets his first point of the season. In the left circle to Foley, crossing there with Kadri. Out high for Anderson. Righty walks right and shoots, blocked. Came out high, rebound to Foley, scores! Power play goal, two in this period for the Flames to tie it 2-2. In his own end, Petrangelo. Desperation, looking for Theodore. From center, he shoots. Stick save, Markstrom. And that does it for the contest. Calgary scores the last three in a row. Two in the second on the power play. One in even strength in the third. And hand the Golden Knights their first loss under Bruce Cassidy. Final score, Calgary three, Vegas two. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, first off, before we get into any Golden Knights here, um, Fernando, uh, gotta love Fernando. He tweeted earlier in the show, Patriots West has failed. Uh, Jason Fitz decided to respond. To He's it. on fire on Twitter <laughs> this morning. So Jason Fitz responded again with the Patriots West thing. Please tell me five things about this, the regime that mirrors the Patriots. Amazing we don't seem to call the Vikings Rams Midwest. Such a lazy talking point. Also failed, underperformed for the first five games, sure. Fail too soon to know. Uh, Jason, it's Fernando. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to argue with logic for Fernando, um, but they have failed so far. Uh, but that's not it. That's not the only thing he said. He, he, he continues to go. Because Fernando said, bless Fitz's heart, saying the faders are favored in 10 games with 12 to play. Being a favorite does not exist. And Fitz pulled out a screenshot of a Paul Gutierrez article to show that they are going to be favored in 10 of their last 12 games. Uh, so Jason Fitz, welcome to Fernando. He's great. I love Fernando's tweets, and I love when people argue with Fernando, which is what Jason Fitz is doing right now. <laughs> Jason Fitz, if you could have told me anyone who was going to go crazy on Twitter this morning and start arguing with Fernando, Jason might have been at the bottom of the list. <laughs> He's optimistic and happy, and he doesn't want that to be challenged by Fernando. <laughs> Keep doing it, Fernando. It's great. Um, also, uh, during the last hour... I have been uh, sending Lindsey Brown pictures of goalie jerseys with different numbers to see what she approves of and does not approve of. Uh, I sent her Carter Hart, who is number 79. She said 79 is fine. I sent her Sergei Bobrovsky, who is 72. 72 is not okay. Does not like that. Uh, Miko Koskinen wears number 19. Not a fan of 19. Doesn't like that. Uh, Ed Belfour who wore number 20 with the stars and Darren Poopa, who wore number 93 with the lightning. She called both of those obscene, uh, obscene, obscene. And then Ilya Brzgalov wore number 80 with the um, Oilers. She said, almost okay with this one, just because it's Brzgalov. <laughs> Boy, she lost oxygen on that walk of hers. I don't know. So just to recap of the number 79 is okay. 35 is the best number. 72, 80, 20, and 93 are not okay. 25 is a disaster. 
31 is not acceptable, and 36 is not I mean, acceptable. she's just picking these out of air, which there is There is zero not, logic no to There's no logic this. to any of this stuff. None, None at all. No. None. Just her seeing a number and reacting. And, be, and being okay or not okay with it. <laughs> she was number one in high school, she said. Yes. She said all the way through high school she was number one. I like number one. That's a, that's the goalie uh, in soccer. Number. I like number one. Yeah, that's what soccer does is they give their goalie number one. Um, but in hockey... Uh, apparently not allowed, illegal, or at least a Lindsay She's Brown, a huge flurry fan and doesn't like 29. That's fair. Huge flurry fan. Yeah. There's no logic to it, right? None. Of, the only logic we've gotten is that she doesn't like number one because there's too much empty space on the Yeah, team. she likes the double Which number. Which that, that's a lot. That's perfectly fine. I'm okay with that. But the the difference in 25 and 35 is... Well, the difference in the 30s. Yeah, 35 and 36. Yeah, don't like 37, though. There's one extra line. Like, it's all the same. I I did just find an article by discoverhockey.com written back in August says each number has its own unique history and plenty of stories to tell Uh by convention. Goalie numbers are either number one or something in the thirties. Yeah. yeah. Most goalies are in the thirties, but she has all of them. She's having like a visceral reaction to somebody wearing 25. Yeah. She's like having a, a massively negative reaction because somebody wore 25 instead of 35. (laughs) <laughs> and then she doesn't even like all the numbers in the 30s. It's no, exactly. Like, and that's what goalies are supposed to be, right. according to the article. If if she was just like, goalies are 30, that's that. Okay. But she's not. She's like, 31, not good. 37, not, not good. good. 35, the best. <laughs> so there's your goalie number controversy of the day. Um, oh, I did want to give this take to you, just so that everybody's aware. Own goals need to be a real thing in hockey. Oh yeah, the one what you asked yes. Lindsay about. Own goals need to be real. Like, what and who, are we doing and who here? got the who got the goal last night? The last flame to touch it, the closest flame to it's the uh, last Martinez? one to touch it is how. So his last flame to touch it right. is the one who gets the goal. Yes. Uh, which goal was that? That was the second goal. So Tyler Toffoli got a goal last night, even though he had nothing to do with that it. goal. Was slapped into the net by, by Alec, Alec Martinez. Martinez. So here's the thing: own goals exist in soccer. Right. right. If if I take a shot and the defender actually the way they normally do it in soccer is if you shoot and it's on target, they'll give you credit for the goal, even if a defender like deflects it in. But like if a defender knocks a ball past his own goalie in soccer, it's an own goal and it shows up own goal Jimmy. and whoever put it in the right. center back that put it in or the goalie sometimes it's an own goal and nobody gets credit for that goal. That needs to happen in hockey because you're okay genuinely our genuine argument about a stupid topic. The whole point of statistics in sports is to accurately tell us what happened during the game. Right. Right. That is the entire point of keeping stats is to give us an accurate representation of what happened in the game. And when Alec Martinez takes a puck, that's like 12 feet off the ice and bats it past his own goalie, Tyler Toffoli did not score a goal, but that's what went down in the stats last night. Alec Martinez scored an own goal. That's what happened. And that's what the stats should reflect. And also I'm perfectly fine with the goalies. Not that's that not counting against the goalie. If your teammate scores on sure. you, that should sure. not, I, I'm you're perfectly not be, you're fine. not prepared for that. Right. That that's just not a goal against the goalie. That's just a goal against like an empty net goal. Doesn't count against a goalie. Right. That should just be in the same category as an empty net goal. It doesn't count against you as a goalie. It's not that it doesn't seem that complicated. No, now, the only issue with it is it's not been the standard. So 
If you so, start it now, you'd what, be get like, get off my lawn. Yeah, you'd be like, ah, well, how many own goals did Wayne Gretzky have, or something like that? Right. But I don't care. Change it. They're not going to go back and change it. No, you don't have to go back and change it, but just that's the new rule going forward. Because the other fun part of this is we'd get to look up who scored the most own goals. That'd be great. Oh, well, no, no. Well, you can't go back and do it, but just from here going forward, we'd get to look at the end of the year. Well, Alec Martinez would be the leader of the club. We'd be like, oh, Alec Martinez scored four own goals this year. What's that guy doing? Get him off the team. He keeps scoring goals on himself. Four would be a lot. I bet. I bet we'd have somebody with four or five every season. Really? Yeah. Because because again, you deflect it past your own goalie. Like you don't. One that, person would have that many, probably. Because you you don't. It doesn't have to be. You know, you shoot it past your goalie, but no, somebody, it's mostly deflections. Right. Somebody takes a shot and right. it deflects you, off yeah, your exactly. stick, your, your skate, skate, past your own goalie. That's an own goal. What's the goalie supposed to do? He's supposed to be ready for you to shoot on him too. Come on. So I'm just trying to help all, goalies out here. Always be prepared. Yeah, you should be, but you can't. But you're not for, really prepared for that. You ever heard for ten guys out there trying to score yeah. on you? Always Five, be prepared. Sometimes six, but not ten. It's too many. It's ridiculous. So own goals, make them happen in hockey. I have one personal complaint for you. Um, my neighborhood is repaving the roads in our neighborhood. <sighs> I, We've done that. I have I have That's never sweet. been a part of planning for repaving roads. In terms of when you get in and out. Right. So I don't know if this is the optimal way to do it. But we are going... It started yesterday, and it expands uh, part of this week and then into next week. We have into five... your street? Yeah, five different days yes. that the roads will be paved. Right. And they're doing it in sections, which I believe is right. to allow people to still be able to get out of the... We have two gates, get in and out of the neighborhood, yes. at least one way or another. But this is very annoying. Yes. <laughs> and my neighborhood, uh, we have little stickers that you're supposed to put on your window. And if a car is parked in the street without a little sticker... You get first. You get that big annoying yellow thing on the side of your window that says from the homeowners. Yeah, says you can't park here, and then you get towed after that. We don't have the little stickers because we always park in our garage, but I think we're gonna have to park on the street and hope they don't walk around and slap the big sticker on our window. You have no stickers? No, we don't. We we applied for one when we moved in, and they never sent it to us. And but we we just park in our garage. We don't ever park on the street, so we're like whatever. We don't need it, but now maybe we need it. I would think they repaved ours and they did the same thing. We've got in our complex, in our neighborhood, four different streets, and they went one street at a time. And I'm forgetting how I got out and got in. Do you have straight easy. streets? Yes. See, ours is ours is just chaos. Ours is just there's there's little cul-de-sac things. Oh no! They're, oh, no. it's just it's just chaos. No, like it's not easy. It's just chaos. And they're like, and so like we have to. Our street gets paved. I think. Monday of next week. So we'll have to park somewhere else, somewhere in the neighborhood. There are actually people that were parked outside of our neighborhood along a street that we might park On their outside day? of our neighborhood. Yeah. That we might park outside of our neighborhood and see what happens there. And yesterday was the first day they did it. Our gate is like, there's a median between the lanes of traffic, but one of the lanes was shut down. So everybody's got to go in and out of the same gate. That's just asking for That's a, nightmare. a nightmare. Yeah. It's asking for trouble. <laughs> We got, what did we get last week? We got one of those really fun letters because it was bulk day and we put a huge branch out that we had cut down that they're supposed to take. And for whatever reason, they didn't take it. So the branch was lying on the 
on the driveway or off the, off the side of the driveway, not directly on the driveway. Should have gone straight to jail. For more than, I don't know, an hour. And someone in the neighborhood, and we think we know who it was, Oh, made the call. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got some people in the neighborhood with cameras and just, you know, turn everyone in and, you know, just nonsense like that. Um, we got the uh, we get the letter, like within a day, about the branch on our driveway that the bulk trash didn't pick up. You know where that letter went. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I should have paid more attention to this. This was a little while ago, walking my dogs in our neighborhood. And we have like a bunch of little grass areas that you can take your dog to and let them go to the bathroom right. and everything. Great neighborhood for walking dogs. But had my dogs in one of those and this lady like parks on the street and walks up sort of past the park and some people's backyards back up to this little small park, park. thing. And she is on her tippy toes looking over their back wall with her phone. I assume taking photos of these people's backyard. And I just, Was she with the homeowners association? No idea. She just got in a car and drove away after she went and took a couple pictures. Really? Yeah. No idea who that lady was. Never seen her before. Not that I've seen most of my neighbors, but no idea who she was. No idea if those people got in trouble for anything. But I was like, you're just walking up and taking pictures of the backyard? We have people walking around from the homeowners association with the iPads taking the pictures. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like our gates the other day, both gates in and out were completely open and broken. And this has happened several times now where, you know, it's like, you know, you have to have, you'd like some security. Are but gates, they were both open. Not to cut you off. Are gates the hardest thing in the world for HOAs to maintain? The amount of times our gate but, is broken is unbelievable. Right. But you 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 have that happen and yet you get the you get the letter on a on a branch. <laughs> like, can you please take care of the gates where anyone can, can just come in and out and not worry about She's my like, branch? I'm gonna take the branch and set it up in front of the drive or in front of the road so it acts yes, as a gate exactly, until you get it fixed. Exactly. Fix the gate. Don't worry about my branch. <laughs> HOAs are great. So yeah, if oh, yeah. I if I'm not at work on Monday, it's because my car is trapped in <laughs> because I forgot to move it before they came in. Yeah, to you can't the move roads. it because it's all yeah. trapped with the with the. I, uh, tar. I actually think I'll be fine because I leave before they start paving in the mornings. So I think I'll be fine oh, getting yeah. here. I might not be able to get back to my house, but I think I'll be <laughs> fine. I might just sleep here Monday night and stay overnight. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs. Bischoff's briefs. Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Bischoff's briefs. Hey, thanks. That is not a compliment. Ah, I disagree. Bischoff's briefs. Okay, well, that was just a list of complete nonsense, but you're not totally wrong. Bischoff's briefs. All right, Ed, later in the show, we're going to have to explain to you what slap fighting is. Um, so stay tuned. I've got approved by the commission. <laughs> Must be serious. We're also going to have some Golden Knights tickets a little bit later in the hour as well. Uh, first off, an update from Paloma Viacano Fox 5 at UNLV football practice. Doug Brumfield and Aiden Robbins are still not dressed at practice today for UNLV. They play Notre Dame on Saturday. Um, I would guess if they're not dressed and practicing today, they're very unlikely to play in the game. Granted, there is still a few days in between that maybe. Brumfield, who has a uh, concussion, and Aiden Robbins has a knee injury. I guess there is still a chance they could play on Saturday, but I'm guessing they don't. Uh, Bischoff's briefs today, though, is about UNLV 
basketball. I believe we are getting the Mountain West preseason poll today. So we'll know where UNLV is picked preseason in the Mountain West. Uh, but Ken Palm rankings are out. Ken Palm rankings um, is uh, we're going to call it the Bible, uh, even though you shouldn't treat it as such. We are going to call it the Bible. Ken Palm rankings are out. UNLV basketball preseason 118th in the country. Their projected record 16 and 13. Uh, that does not include one game because the opponent is unknown for the second game of that San Juan Capistrano tournament. That's weird because I think 14 are in the non-conference. <laughs> Eight and 10 in Mountain West play. Okay. Uh, so 16 and 13, 118th in the country. Um, if you go and break it down by projected offense and defensive efficiency, UNLV's offense is projected to finish 162nd in the country. The defense is projected to be 87th in the country. Uh, do you believe UNLV will be that bad on offense? Because 162, I mean, UNLV has not been that bad in offensive efficiency since Marvin Menzies' first season. I think they have to prove they won't be that bad. We don't know. We've talked about it all along, how he recruited a lot of defensive players and guys who are long and athletic and are going to help them defensively. But what have we said all along? Like, who's going to score? Yeah. I believe they will be better than 162nd offensively. I don't think they'll be that bad, but I don't think they'll be significantly better. I think we're talking about, oh, they got to 120 or 130 in offensive efficiency. I don't think they'll be 162, but I don't think this is a top 100 offense. I do think they'll be a little bit better than that, but not uh, actually good. The defense projected at 87th. Um, I think this season depends on UNLV being top 50 defensively. Defensively? If they're going, not even make the NCAA tournament, if they're going to be close, if they're going to be top four in the Mountain West, I think this season depends on them having a top 50 uh, defense. And 87th, which is a solid defense, but that's not going to be good enough. Um, so if they're, if they end the year 87th on defense, I think there are big problems for this team and it's not going to be a very good season, even if they're slightly improved offensively. Now, Ken Palm mountain West projections, like I said, eight and 10 is their projected conference record. Uh, seventh best in the mountain West, San Diego state's the best team. According to Ken Palm, they actually come in 19th in the country and then Wyoming, Utah state, Boise state. Colorado State, all top 100 teams. Fresno State comes in at 107 in Ken Palm rankings, also ahead of UNLV, putting the Rebels seventh in the Mountain West. I think they're picked higher when the poll comes out. I think they're fifth ahead of Fresno State. I and uh, I mean, Colorado State lost Roddy. Um, Stevens just uh, had a bad injury recently. Although that, that I don't know if Ken Palm projects it based on that, um, so I think they're I think they're ahead of both those. Ah, <laughs> Colorado State, maybe sixth. I think I, Fresno State surprised me a little. I know they won the fourth best tournament, or they got to the finals of the fourth best postseason tournament last year, but they lost a pretty good player in Atlanta Robinson. Right. And yeah. I I think sixth is where they get picked in the preseason poll. Um, but five, six, seven. I think ultimately five, six, seven is not good enough if you're Kevin Kruger this right. year. And this is the part that I'm I'm curious about. Kevin Kruger has year one and 
for the most part, not everybody, obviously, but for the most part, I feel like there's general optimism about Kevin Kruger as a head coach around UNLV. Um, but then the offseason, they lose Bryce Hamilton and Donovan Williams. Doesn't appear as though they replaced them with players that are better. We'll see if Elijah Harkless proves me wrong on that, but it doesn't appear as though they got players that were better for a team that didn't go to the NCAA tournament last year. So talent-wise, it might be a little bit worse than last season. And if you end up seventh in the Mountain West, if you end up eight and 10 in the Mountain West, you end up as a 16 or 17 win team and you're not sniffing the NCAA tournament, that I think is going to be a big problem for Kevin Kruger. Um, Here's a slightly more optimistic ranking, by the way. Uh, Evan Maya, that's a website on college basketball. They actually rank all of the transfers in the country. And UNLV obviously is a team full of transfers. Uh, they projected UNLV to be 81st overall in the country and fourth in the Mountain okay. West. San Diego State, Utah State, and Wyoming were the top three, and then UNLV came in at fourth. Again, I think UNLV is ranked higher in this because Evan Maya does transfer rankings and ranks every transfer. Ken Palm does take into account when you get transfers. It's not to say they don't. But Evan Maya tries to project out more about what you're going to do, whereas Ken Palm is more about what you have done in the past. So a guy like Elijah Harkless getting a bigger role, Evan Maya might say, oh, we think he's going to be a star in a bigger role, whereas Ken Palm says, well, he was an average player at Oklahoma. So and an average player at, um, was it Fullerton? I'm blanking on where he was before. So he's probably not going to be a superstar at UNLV, whereas Evan Maya might try to project out a little bit more. But 81st in the country and fourth. Uh, Bart Torvik. Another place that does preseason projections and analytical models, similar to Ken Palm, uh, has UNLV 106th in the country, so higher overall, but eighth, eighth, eighth in the Mountain West. No, I, they're better than that. Eighth in the Mountain no, West. No, they're better than that. Uh, Bart Torvik very high on the Mountain West because that is 17s in the top 100, according to Bart Torvik. So if you average all three of those together, you would end up as the 102nd best team in the country and the sixth best team in the Mountain West. That I mean, I think fair. I think that's fair to begin the season. I think At, that's fair. Is that good for Kevin Kruger in year two? Because here's here's my thing with with Kevin Kruger, the transfer portal, free transfers, all of that. Where we are in college basketball, it should not take you very long to build a good team. It should not take you long at all. Uh, fine if you want to say, hey, year one, we're not going to be exactly what we want. But in college basketball now, by year two, you should be exactly what you want as a college basketball team. You And sure, coaches can still end up taking three or four years, but TJ Otzelberger goes to Iowa State, takes a two-win program, and they're in the Sweet 16. Right. right. It should not take you very long to put together a competent team in college basketball now because of the transfer portal. And for UNLV to not come close to the NCAA tournament last year, if they end up 102nd in the country and 6th in the Mountain West, they're not going to be close to the NCAA tournament again. And if they end up, you know, 9-9 and in conference play and they win 18, 19 games, that's just not very good. And it's not that Kevin Kruger is not going to get fired after two years if they finish, you know, 6th in the conference or something like that. But it becomes a genuine conversation going into year three. Year three becomes a you got to be there or you got to be close. You got to give us reason to believe you can get there in the future because in college basketball, you should be able to get there. Yeah. You should be able to turn programs around in a hurry. And that has not happened yet for Kruger. And if these projections are true, it's not going to happen again. Like we're just, we're going to be talking about the same thing. We've talked about the UNLV basketball for 
nine seasons at that point where they're not in the NCAA tournament. How do they get in the NCAA tournament? The coaching hasn't been good enough. How how hot is the seat of the coach at UNLV who hasn't been in the NCAA tournament? All right, coming up next, John Von Tobel joins the show. Boys. Wiggins to Curry, catch and shoot three. There it is. Stephen Curry with a three ball. The Lakers will call another timeout. Curry with the intercept, chest pass to Poole, catch and shoot three, ridiculous! We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. You can hear him on Cofield and Company, you can hear him over on VEASAN, and you can read his college, ba- or NBA coverage, excuse me, on VEASAN as well. It's John Von Tobel. Good morning, John. Hey, How Johnny. are you today? Maybe we don't have John. I'm going to assume Johnny. his child stole Oh, no, phone. my phone was on mute. I'm here. Okay. There you go. All right. There you go. Uh, I was actually going into a spiel about Don't Sell Me Short. I also write college basketball stuff. I ah, just got my email the other day. Okay. Uh, my West Coast and Mountain West conference previews will be up in like three weeks. So uh, I do not sleep. I do not rest. I am incredible. Okay, hold on. Let me ask you this then, because we were just talking about UNLV and their um, Ken Palm ranking to start the year at 118 and the Mountain West media poll, I think, is out today. Uh, are they anywhere close to the NCAA tournament, according to you? Uh, I I would say defensively, yes. Ask me again about their offense when we get to see them, right? Okay. Like I think that's kind of fair. I yeah. think defensively they're going to be one of the better teams in the Mount West. I just I don't know how they're going to score uh, on paper right now, and I think that would be the big question for them. So unless look, they can be super dynamic, like kind of like Toronto Raptors esque, right? Like forcing a bunch of turnovers, getting out of transition, getting some easy buckets. Uh, they could run, you know, I think people want them to do that. Um, that would be kind of cool, <laughs> but I still have my reservations about how they're going to score uh, against some of the better defensive teams. All right. In the NBA, um, can you explain to us how it's possible that after one game, LeBron James is complaining about not having enough shooting. And for the second year in a row, the Lakers have somehow not put shooting around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But to the first one, because it's LeBron. LeBron is uh, LeBron does not really hold back in terms of making his. Uh, it's not even like an underhanded comment. Like it was pretty on the nose. Uh, what I found fascinating about that, and just like the reaction in general, these rosters didn't get put together yesterday, right? Like they didn't all just meet at the what is now Crypto.com Arena, or, or no, what what is it? It was up in Golden State, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, hey, this is our team. All right, cool. Like there was so much shock about the fact that there was no shooters around LeBron yesterday. And like my thing was like, we, we guys watch it in the offseason? Like, see, like we kind of knew what this roster was going to look like. So uh, like I am amazed. Like this is now uh, of his years in Los Angeles. It has been almost every single year that they have just refused to go with the old LeBron model when he was in Cleveland and Miami, which is just put a whole bunch of dudes who can knock down some catch-and-shoot three-point attempts and roll like that. And I, it's fascinating because when you look at it, they did have kind of a vision in the offseason, right, which was get a little bit younger, get a little bit more athletic. But the shooting just wasn't there. And a lot of people wanted to point to Russell Westbrook. But, like, when you're offseason addition of Patrick Beverly, who, to give him credit, is a 38% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, but if that's, like, the top of the mountain for what you did in terms of adding shooting, that's kind of a problem. I would agree. But the Lakers – that organization, for all the credit it gets for being a storied franchise, is a little bit of a mess. And they are a very mom-and-pop shop-esque type of deal. They give Polinka extensions, even though there hasn't really been a lot of success. They blame others that aren't inside the inner circle. And you get what you get, which is a team that looks like they're going to win like 39 games if maybe everything goes right. Is LeBron complaining about that a way to speed up the trade of Russell Westbrook and potentially that trade with Indiana where they could get some shooting in Miles Turner and Buddy Heald? You mean Russell Westbrook, the best player on the floor yesterday? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, hey, he couldn't get too. warm. 
Uh, right. Like, like, look, I don't know if it is or not. Like, LeBron has kind of said some of the right things since the weird summer league deal out here in our city, right, where they ignored each other down there at the Thomas and Mac. Uh, but, like, at the same time, look, I think the Lakers, the one thing they're actually doing correctly is holding on to those first-round picks. They don't have anything. They have absolutely nothing. And let me ask you guys. Let's say they do it. Let's say they ship off both first-round picks and Russell Westbrook and get Buddy Heald and get Miles Turner. Are you picking the Lakers over the Los Angeles Clippers, Golden State Warriors, Phoenix Suns, and or Denver Nuggets? And even if they make it to the finals, are you picking them over the Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers? Because that's all my answer is. It's no, right? So, like, you could ship off future assets if you want, and the very little ones you have, by the way, and you can go and get those guys, and you can maximize this roster, and you can get a sixth seed in the Western Conference, and then you can get smoked by Golden State in the second round. If that's really what they want, that they can go and do it. I just feel like the Lakers, the one thing they're doing right from a front office perspective is telling LeBron to, for lack of a better term, kick rocks, bro. Like, we don't have that many assets. We need to hold on to the ones that we have, and we're not going to ship them off to maximize a roster that still isn't going to win a title. If it was like... I can't even think of a player that would really turn things around. But if, even if it was like a Kyrie Irving, I guess maybe you could talk yourself into it, but I just don't think that's the smart move. Maybe Bronny can shoot. <laughs> yeah, right? He's that, on, well, that, Bronny's that's on his be way. Incredible. Uh, Kyrie Irving says he's going to dance for 82 games. What are the chances he plays 82 games? Uh, I, I think I have a better shot of making an NBA roster. I'll put it that way. Like, because one, Kyrie Irving, Ed, from a health perspective, we know it's it's kind of hit or miss. Kyrie Irving, from a do I want to play basketball perspective, is also kind of hit or miss. <laughs> and it's just in the NBA today. Like, how many guys honestly are really playing eighty-two games? So, right. like, the actual right. figure of eighty-two games, I would say no. But like, if you're asking me, what are the odds that Kyrie plays like sixty-five plus games? I, that is more of a realistic number, and that's a number that I think he should shoot for. And if he does play 65 games, then this is a, for the Nets, we should specify, uh, then, like, then this is a team that like, has top four seed in the Eastern Conference, I think, potential. Now, they're a little banged up to start the year. Seth Curry's not playing tonight. Joe Harris isn't playing tonight. Uh, obviously, uh, T.J. Warren is uh, still sidelined with the injury. He's recovering from two, so you want them to be fully healthy. The, the potential's there. The, the problem just is, one, does Kyrie Irving want to play those games in for Brooklyn? And two, when we get a month in, how do we not know that Kevin Durant isn't going to turn around and go, nah, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing this, and either forces his way out or wants to quit or just retires because he doesn't want to play for Steve Nash anymore. It's just such a volatile situation. But I would say Kyrie Irving should be shooting for 65 games, not 82 games. Can you convince me T.J. Warren exists outside of the bubble? Uh, yeah, TJ, I like T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren was dope. I, I think, well, like, and there was a, I think, what did he have in the bubble that game? Kyle? He had like a 45-point game or something like that, right? In the bubble, he was incredible. No, T.J. Warren's a good player, and I think he's one of those where it's like, hey, man, it's kind of a buy-low thing, and if he hits, he hits, and if not, well, then, yeah, you know what, we didn't spend that many assets on it, so I like it. Now, they need, I, I would say this, if we're taking the serious answer, like, they do need, like, point guard help. They don't really have a lot of true point guards on that roster, and that could kind of be a problem when it comes to, like, facilitating, getting the free throw line and whatnot, uh, but I like T.J. Warren. I think he's a good player. Don't, don't disperse my guy. I'm just saying, has he, has he played a game since the bubble? I think he's played like four. Uh, he had a pretty serious like foot ankle injury kind of deal. Uh, yeah, he, look at that, dude. I know everything. Uh, I'm looking at basketball <laughs> reference right now. He played four in the 2020-2021 season, uh, and that was the last time we saw him. Yeah, so he doesn't exist outside the bubble. That's all, that's all I wanted to ask. Uh, okay, I think before Kawhi went down, you, you were high in the Clippers last year. He's back now. We don't know how long that's going to last. Um, are they as good as everyone's saying they are? I think they're the best team in the NBA, Ed. Uh, I, wow. I don't think there's... 
uh, I will go strongly. I don't think there's really any question about it that they're the best team in the NBA. They're going to be fully constructed. Uh, and you're right. You know, before, it's funny, when they were playing the Mavericks in that series, uh, when they were down 3-2 for Vsin, uh, I wrote an article for that week, which was, like, the headline was, the Clippers are the best team in the Western Conference. And I got a whole lot of flack because they were down 3-2 and about to get eliminated. But we know how they eliminated the Dallas Mavericks and moved on from there. Right. And we saw, too, their depth, right? When they beat the Utah Jazz in that Western Conference semifinal series, this is a team that was relatively deep. And over the course of the year and a half since then, they have gotten even deeper. Uh, Robert Covington is a really good guy to come off of the bench for them. Norm Powell is a legitimate six-man-of-the-year candidate. And the best part is these guys that we're talking about have pushed back some of the role players that pushed them to the Western Conference Finals against the Phoenix Suns two years ago. And that's guys like Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, and others. This team is one of the deepest teams in the NBA. They bring in, again, kind of like T.J. Warren, right, a buy-low spot that could probably work out for them in John Wall because they are a team that has been in desperate need for, like, a true point guard who can get north-south, get to the free-throw line and facilitate. So he fits really well with them. And then you have arguably, when he's fully healthy, one of the best players in the NBA in Kawhi Leonard and a great second player, a top-25 guy in Paul George. I do think, Ed, that they're the best team in the NBA. If they're going to be fully healthy and ready to go by the time we get to the postseason, uh, there is no question that they will be the NBA Finals champion in my mind. All right, how do you feel if you're Jordan Poole and not only did you get punched in the face, but Draymond Green now has a documentary about it and how Draymond Green's going to overcome the adversity of punching you in the face? Wait, so he has a document. I saw the weird thing that TNT put out. I just saw like the 20 second clip with like, you know, the, you know, the, where you can see the ring light in their eyes. Yeah. And he's yeah. like looking into the camera and he's like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even know what he was saying. So it's like a documentary. It's uh, it's an all access series through Warner Brothers. I don't know what that means. There was just the little preview that you saw yesterday. Is it called I- The Punch? <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. I, I like. I don't know. Like that's. I, I'm really fascinated how that kind of plays out. And I thought it was hilarious that last night Jordan Poole assisted on Draymond Green on a cut to the basket, and like there were people alleging like everything was fine. And I was like, how do we even know that Jordan Poole did? He's like, did he even realize it was it was Draymond Green? I think he just saw somebody cutting to the basket through it, and then realized it was Draymond Green. Like because one pass existed between the two of them, everything's cool. I'm fascinated, man, because if you do read like some of the reports that come out of Golden State, Poole's not really cool with it, right? Like Poole's not entirely happy with the way it went down, and he's been kind of just like icy with the media in terms of talking about it. Some of the quotes that come out, he's like, "Now nah, we're moving on, it's fine." Like, I'm really interested. You know, when we're talking about like Game 37 of the NBA season, and they're going through a little bit of a lull, and they're in Oklahoma City on a Wednesday night, right? And they're kind of down by seven, and they're bickering back and forth because they don't want to be there. Like, what that kind of looks like as you move forward. Because I don't know if you know this, guys. Damon Green's a little difficult to work with. Kevin Durant can kind of speak to that. <laughs> like, those kind of moments where I'm really interested to see how it plays out. But, obviously, they're good enough that I think they can overcome it. But I wouldn't just, like, bury this, especially if there's actually going to be a documentary about it. All right. Let me give you a plus-minus stat from game one of the season, which uh, obviously means a lot. But the Sixers last night got outscored by 13 with Joel Embiid on the floor, despite uh, Rob Williams not being able to play for Boston. Uh, is that concerning after one game of the season? Nah, because I think when you watch two, uh, the thing that was kind of concerning to start the year, I don't think like big picture it'll play out. Uh, Joel Embiid was kind of huffing up and down the court in that second half of that game. He didn't look like a guy who was entering the year like in his most physical, like prime and peak physical condition. So I wonder if that had a little bit of something to do with it. I like I wouldn't worry too much. I would say this. I also think it's a really big positive that, you know, against one of the better defensive teams in the NBA, they had an offensive rating of 119, and James Harden looked really good. 
uh, in that game, especially in the first half. So I wouldn't take a lot from it. Um, now, if they're going to move forward and still lose those minutes and their bench is only going to produce, I think they got a total of like, what, like 13 points out of their bench or something like minuscule like that. That's going to be a problem for them because that was supposed to be better, right? Anthony Melton averaged 10 points a game for the Grizzlies. You can't shoot uh, two or four, only take four shots to score five points in 21 minutes if you're Melton. That just can't happen, especially if you're not going to get any other contributions from the other players there. And I was kind of surprised, guys, that Doc Rivers was like super tight with his rotation. All five starters played 34 minutes or more, and actually Embiid, Maxi, and Harden all played 37 or more. And like the bench, you're only talking about 21 for Melton and then 11, 16, 12, while you had three guys get 20 or more minutes for the Celtics. I, like, I was kind of surprised that in the first game of the season, Doc was like, screw it, we're, we're playing like nearly 40 minutes, we got to win this game. It was a little weird. <laughs> got to win them all. 82-0 and has got to be the dream. He is John Von Tobel from VSEN. John, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, John. Good to talk to you guys. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. Uh, so there you go, John Von Tobel on the NBA and what the biggest Clippers advocate that we've ever had. He was saying he thought they were really good last year yeah. and they weren't healthy. And now they're good. There's no doubt in his mind they're going to win the title. All right. We've got tickets to give away. If you want to go see the Golden Knights take on the Winnipeg Jets tomorrow, call in now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. Be caller number 10 at 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see the Golden Knights and Jets. Billy going down to yellow and brown. That's what's in. Padres on the loose. Let's go, goose. That's what's in. Bryce gonna lose, and Manny's gonna cruise. That's what's in. Give Philly no slack and send them back. That's what's in. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. The best sound of the playoffs. I loved uh, Anton's uh, retweet yesterday who who is a good friend of the show, and he's just like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Great sound. (laughs) Um, All right. Ed, Uh, are you ready for slap fighting? Yeah, I, I... the commission okayed this, so yeah. I, I've got to know. I mean, it's got to be somewhat legitimate for them to do that. Right. So Nevada Athletic Commission um, has a, approved slap fighting in Nevada. Um, it, if you're unaware, it's you, just two people stand in front of each other, and they take turns slapping the hell out of each other. In the face. Right mm-hmm. in the face. Yep. Right in the face. And then someone's going to give up eventually? No, somebody gets knocked out eventually. <laughs> Are you yeah. serious? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wonder there's weight classes. I mean, obviously, you'd have to have weight classes. And it's not just like... Is it open? Like it has fist? to be open fist. Yeah, open hand. And it's not just open like hand. move arm. Like, you can torque your whole upper body Yeah, and go in into it. I've, what if I get knocked down but not out? Do I lose? If you can stand and, if you can get back up and you're fine and you're not, like, wobbly and clearly concussed, Talk you can keep concussions. going. But I've seen people get completely unconscious. Oh, yeah. Has it been on television? Uh, I don't know about television, but I've seen clips and stuff on Twitter and all that. But people go unconscious in these in these slaps. How fights. many slaps does it usually take? Usually, depending on the size of the person, you might get four. Because I read yesterday, there's you have to have weight class. You can't have some 220 pound guy against a 130 pound guy. Well, they it's there's men's and women's slap fighting too. Mm-hmm. So you stand up there, slap the hell of each other. Um, <laughs> this is just. Here, here's my okay, legitimate question. 
in any sort of fighting sport, right? Why do you do it? And one of the main answers is, well, you can make a lot of money if you're good at it. Is anybody making anybody, any money doing slap fighting? Well, there'd have to be purses, right? Well, yeah, I, there, there's, there's, there's a league. There's a, there's a league and all that. So you're making some, some money. But there can't be enough money to justify, I'm going to go up here and get slapped in the face four or five to times. To where the people, to the point I'm going to get a concussion. Right, to where that's that's worth it. They just can't, no, like, there, I, can, I can there can't be that much money involved. Yeah, so I just can't imagine, like, who's doing this? Like, I, can, I understand, like, even boxing as it's dying off or whatever. I can understand boxing and being like, all right, I'm going to train to be a boxer, and if I'm good, I'm going to make money. But who's doing slap fighting? These two jamokes I, that Danny just showed me on the... Uh, and the sweat flew off this big kid's face. Oh, yeah. We, the slow-mo, <laughs> that's going to be the best the part when you get slow-mo shots of the face and how the skin oh, all contorts gosh. and everything. He put his hand to his face to, like, brace oh, yeah, it. You gotta, and then he, he torqued it. It's like taking a practice swing in golf, you know, where you want to hit and then smack him in the face. Yeah, there's there's a lot of knockouts with that. <laughs> and there's a, there's a table between them. So you're really you're really stretching out your yeah, arm. Yeah, yeah, you're as much usually as you can. yeah, you want to get full extension full on full your extension arm. on oh, the absolutely. arm. Absolutely. Slap him right in the I wonder what the actual aiming point is like. You want to hit him on the cheekbone right below the cheekbone? The commission okay this. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's just slapping. <laughs>